Peter says of the writings of the Apostle Paul that there are many difficult things that are uh, hard to understand in Paul's writings. Uh, we can definitely affirm that is true uh, throughout Romans, as this is a complex and very deep book. But specifically in these, uh, these verses that we find ourselves in here in uh, chapter 9, uh, and the, the things that we've been seeing about God's sovereignty in, uh, in salvation. Um, as we've looked and saw uh, last week, remember Paul is grieving because not all of ethnic Jews, not all Israelites, who were God's chosen people to be the ones through whom uh, the Messiah, the Deliverer, the Savior, Jesus, came into the world— not all of those who have descended from Israel, who have descended from Abraham, are believing the promise, are hoping and trusting in Jesus, are being saved. They're rejecting that. And that grieves Paul deeply, uh, so much so that he says, if, if even if possible, although it's not, that he would be cut off to prevent from Jesus and, and, and suffer eternal damnation if he could prevent and keep the rest of his countrymen from experiencing that. And so the, the context that we're seeing is Paul is wrestling over this idea, the fact that not all Jews are being saved, does that invalidate God's promises? And what we saw is that Paul, Paul is saying is that never was God's promise a universal promise to all the ethnic people of Israel that due to their race or their genetics or their biology or their external connection to the people of Israel where they automatically be saved. Uh, and he gave us several examples, both looking at Isaac and Ishmael, and then uh, more specifically drawing in on Jacob and Esau and seeing that uh, the way that God chooses and determined to uh, who would be the children of promise uh, was not based on their, their race or their ethnicity or what they had done, but prior to either Jacob or Esau being born, before they had done good or evil, so that God's purpose and election might stand, God chose Jacob in love. And we saw that that meant God's uh, loving, covenantal intention and uh, relationship to redeem and save Jacob. And Esau, he hated his intention to uh, carry out condemnation and wrath upon Esau. Uh, not just thinking... Uh, more generally about I'm going to use the nation of Israel to take my uh, my promises to the nations and not the, the nation of Esau. That's not what he's talking about. In the context of Malachi, the, the hatred there is not a love less or have a, a different uh, purpose in redemptive history. The focus is on God's wrath and justice uh, and on looking at Esau as an example. Here Paul is, is looking at that example of Esau as having to relate to individual personal salvation. And so that may have brought up questions in your heart or your mind as you've been thinking over this. Of Is that fair? Is that fair of God? If what you're saying is correct, and this is what the, the scriptures are teaching, is it, is it just, is it right for God to choose and determine who he will save and who he will condemn that isn't connected to what they have done or what they will do. It's not on foreseen action or foreseen 
faith. Is that fair of God? Well, Paul anticipates that objection. Paul anticipates that uh, question. And as we look in verses 14 through 18 this morning, we will see how Paul deals with that. And I'll say just a side note, the, the fact that this is where Paul goes next and he is anticipating that objection to what he has just said, uh, not fully, but at least shows us that uh, the way that we have been portraying and communicating what Paul is teaching up to this point, that we're on the wrong path, but on the right path, uh, because the things that we taught and spoke about last week do bring up this teaching on God's sovereign election and salvation, does bring up reactions and responses of, is God unjust? Uh, and there's uh, ways that people have tried to, to modify the teaching, to lessen it, so that it it doesn't sound that way, but hey, this is what we, we have here, and so let's see how Paul responds to these questions and these charges. So looking at verses 14 through 18. What shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? By no means. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, For this very purpose I have raised you up, that I might show my power in you, and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. So then he has mercy on whomever he wills, and he hardens whomever he wills. God, we... Thank you for your word, for your revelation, and we thank you that you've given us your spirit to guide us into uh, understanding, to show us truth. We pray that you would give us insight to see rightly what you're teaching in these verses, that you would apply it appropriately to our heart, that we would respond rightly in light of this truth, that nothing would be distorted or twisted, um, either for uh, to uphold any theological position, but that our focus would be on rightly communicating and expounding the truth of God and responding appropriately to it. Uh, in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So, Paul here begins with this question, is there injustice on God's part? Because the way that he decides and determines who he will save and who he will not save is not based on works or what someone has done. Now, we might, uh, on the front side, begin to wonder and, and ask, why would there be a, a charge of our question of, is God being fair or is he being un, unjust in deciding that way? And uh, we, we begin to see it. it. It begins to expose something in our hearts that we would react and respond that way because there's something in us that says, no, this, this should be based on something in us, something that we've done. The, the determining factor on whether God would save me over somebody else or condemn someone else over me would have to be based on what we've done. Somebody who has done good things or who has, uh, God would see that they would exercise faith in him, that would be the person that he would choose to show mercy. 
And then on the other side, the one who doesn't do those things, that would be the one whom God would choose and show uh, his wrath and his curse. That makes sense. That would be fair, we would say. But I think in thinking that way, we, we misunderstand things. Because first, notice where Paul goes, and we must remember the context and who it is that God is dealing with. Notice what he says. Is there injustice on God's part? First, Moses or Paul says, by no means. He reacts this completely. He rejects this completely. There is no injustice on God's part. God is righteousness. God is goodness. How do we know what is good or right? It's based on the character of our God as he's revealed himself in the scriptures. And Paul rejects this great blasphemous statement that there would be injustice in God. And notice where he goes. He goes to the scriptures. This is in Exodus. And he says, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. We must stop there and remember the context with which God is dealing and relating to humanity is a context of the, the, the expression of mercy. And what does what is mercy? Well, mercy is leniency in the face of offense. Leniency in the face of wrongdoing, of guilt, of error, of sin, of lawbreaking. It is not getting the punishment that we deserve. Now, this is extremely important that we understand that. Because if we think that God is not fair in his showing mercy to some and not to others that is disconnected from what we have done, then we misunderstand mercy. We must remember the context that God has given us. That we, we need to remember that God is relating to and he's dealing with sinners. We all have rebelled against him. Remember the groundwork Paul has been laying for us uh, up to this point. That God has accurately and truly, incredibly revealed himself within his creation. But humanity has rejected him. All of us. Not just that. We have all fallen short of God's glory. Not just Gentiles, but Jews as well. No one seeks after God. No one loves him. No desire, one desires him. No one does good. Not only that, we had Adam as our representative. And when Adam fell, we fell. And so the entire human nature is guilty and fallen and sinners in Adam. That is who we are. That is how we enter into this world. And we must remember that the sins that we commit are not what makes us sinners. We are already sinners, and the sins that we do demonstrate what is already true of us. We enter guilty and deserving of God's displeasure and His wrath. And so we, we need to under, understand that what mercy is, is not giving us what we deserve. Um, We need to recognize and understand the difference between mercy 
an obligation. Is God obligated to give mercy to anyone? And no, he's, he's not. God is not obligated to show mercy. What is fair or what would be fair if we are talking about fairness would be that everyone experiences God's justice. There would be no mercy. But that is not what we, we see. That's not what we're, we're asking. We need to recognize that it is just and right and fair of God to punish sinners. So the, the big question then would be is, why would a God show us grace and mercy like this? But the support and where Moses or where Paul goes to it is pointing us back to Exodus. It's in the face of Israel rejecting God, this comes after they've been delivered by him out of Egypt. They're in the, the wilderness, and they've just formed and made a golden calf to worship, and have declared, These, this is our God. These are the gods that brought us out of Egypt, rejecting their God. Moses pleads and intercedes on behalf of the people. God shows some mercy. Others he wipes out with the plague and with judgment and curse. Moses pleads in the behalf of the, the, the people. God sets aside the sin of the people. Moses pleads and declares before God for God to show him his, uh, his, his glory, to show him his, his name. And it's in the face of this great act of sin and this incredible display of grace and mercy that God says this in Exodus 33. Moses asked God in Exodus 33:18, "Please show me your glory." And he says to him, "I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, Yahweh." Remember, it's not just the the words, the sound of that name, but all of his character and what is contained in it that is consistent with the character of God. And he says, I will be gracious to whom I'll be gracious. I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. Uh, Paul is operating off of a, a translation here, but the same concepts are there. I'll be merciful to whom I will uh, have mercy on whom I'll have mercy and have compassion on whom I have compassion. And then later when God actually follows through with this and later down in Exodus 34 verse 6, it says, Yahweh passed before him and proclaimed, Yahweh, Yahweh, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children of the third and fourth generation. And Moses quickly bowed his head toward the earth and worshipped. Here. Paul is reminding us that the context in which God is dealing with us must be understood, and he is relating to sinful human beings. And God says he is not obligated to show anyone mercy. What we all deserve is his punishment. And God says he will have mercy on whom he will have mercy. It's not for humans to determine. Humans have no say. It is based on the prerogative and the decision 
and the, the, the mercy and compassion of God. And he says, I will have mercy on whom I determined to have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. Well, if that's the case, and, and it's, not, it's not based on what humans have done, any foreseen actions of what they would do in the future, of how they would act, how they respond, what sinful deeds they would commit, or what good deeds they would do, of any foreseen hoping and trusting and turning to God, or any foreseen rejection of that. What is the basis? Notice what Paul says. So then it depends, this display of mercy depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. The determining factor, the basis, the foundation by which one receives mercy is not based on the will, the desires, the intentions, the exertion or the actions of humans. That's not the basis of the grounding of it at all. As if God owed it to us. As if if we did something, then he was obligated to show it to us. No, it's not based on that at all, but it is on God. It depends on him who has the mercy. This forces us to look at our own assumptions, to look at ourselves, that to, to see that it is not dependent on us. The act of salvation is not something that humanity and God cooperate in, but it is totally an act of God. And the, the decision and the determination by God of how he will relate to humans who he will choose to bestow upon them the benefits of his covenant promises and who he will withhold it from is totally based and rooted in his determination, his wisdom, his will. Here, we see that it is not based on what we have done. This would uh, undercut any arguments or interpretation or understanding that the basis on which God predetermines what happens in somebody's heart or, or, or their life with relationship to salvation or how God chooses and elects or pre, predestines people would be based on foreseen actions or poor, foreseen faith or desire. Because notice here, Paul says it is not based on human will or exertion, but it's based on God and what He does. We see this consistently come up in the Scriptures. is isn't just what Paul says. Uh, Paul here is pointing us to the Old Testament Scriptures to affirm this, but uh, remember what John, uh, another of Jesus' authorized spokespersons, says in the beginning of his account of Jesus' life and teachings. Uh, the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming to the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. Does that sound familiar? But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, 
nor of the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. God is the, the, the actor, the causer, the one who brings to life. If it was left to the will and the determination of man, no one would turn to God. Have we not seen that? If that was the basis of our actions, what if Paul told us and painted us and given us the picture of humanity apart from the redeeming work of God and the transforming power of His Spirit, no one would do anything good. No one would seek after God. If we think that the basis of, by which God would choose and determine who to bestow grace and mercy and who to save would be based on anything that he foresees in the future, he would foresee nothing. There would be no one who would seek after him. Therefore, we see here that it's according to his purpose. It's according to what God has done. It's not human will or exertion. Here, mercy is the counterpart to what we have seen before. Jacob I loved, Esau I hated. Or Jacob, I showed mercy. Esau, I did not. The understanding of love here is we see that God does not relate to everyone the same. There are some that he bestows his mercy and his redemptive love upon, and there are those that he doesn't. So we see there's two ways here that Paul is introduced in which God responds to people. Love or hatred, the terminology used, drawing from Malachi. With Speaking of Jacob and Esau, here he approaches it again, but using different language. I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, but then he moves on and he talks about hardening. Notice that in verse 18. So then God has mercy on whomever he wills, and he hardens whomever he wills. Right? Puts condemnation and judgment on them. What example does he, he give here? Notice where he goes. Again, appealing to the scriptures. He's showing that it's not dependent on what uh, humanity has done or would do, that God would show them mercy, and he's also sh or show them this redemptive and salvific affecting love. And it's not dependent on what one would do in the future or what one would believe or reject in the future that would determine whether one is hated or shown the wrath and curse of God. He appeals to the scriptures. Now, it's important here that we see uh, this. Uh, in these chapters, Paul is relying heavily on the Old Testament scriptures. Of all of Paul's writing, a third, a third of all of his Old Testament scripture quotes happen in these chapters of chapters 9 through 11. Paul is trying to make us and help us see and understand that the way we evaluate these things and how we, we think about them should be informed by what scripture says. Not what we think is right, not any sort of philosophical arguments that we make, but we must look and see what do the scriptures tell us about the way that God operates in the world. What does Scripture tell us that is true of the nature of man? What does Scripture tell us is the basis and the nature of how one comes to faith in Christ or how one is saved? It's not what we think. It's not what we feel that is important. It's what God says. And we must bring our mindset, our thinking, our objection, our feelings into conformity with God's Scripture. Paul goes to Scripture. 
Paul goes to God's self-revelation. Here he is appealing to two places where God himself speaks directly to Moses to explain this. Again, he's in Exodus. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, For this very purpose I have raised you up, that I might show my power in you, and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. So then he has mercy on whomever he wills, and he hardens whoever he wills. Here Paul is relating and showing us God's operation, both in the display of mercy to people and his display of judgment. And he goes back to Pharaoh in the book of Exodus as um, Paul, as God is getting ready to redeem and deliver his people from their enslavement in Egypt. He tells Moses that he is to go to Pharaoh and declare and ask that God's people would let him, uh, that Pharaoh would let God's people go. But from the beginning, from the beginning, as uh, God speaks to uh, to Moses, he he tells him in chapter four of Exodus. When you go back to Egypt, see that you do before Pharaoh all the miracles that I have put in your power, but I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. God says that he is actively going to be working in the life and the heart of Pharaoh to harden his heart so that Pharaoh will not let the people go. In fact, this language and this terminology comes up multiple times. Uh, there are places in throughout the, the account in Exodus where it talks about God hardening Pharaoh's heart. There are uh, fewer places where it talks about the fact that Pharaoh's heart is hardened already due to God's hardening work in his heart. And then there's, act, there's a couple of verses where it talks about Pharaoh hardening his own heart. But notice that the instruction that we see here is that the hardening of Pharaoh's heart first is an act of God directed towards Pharaoh and not in a response first of Pharaoh hardening his own heart. God is moving here and God is hardening Pharaoh's heart. Now, is that fair? Is that right? Well, when we go back and understand that either we receive mercy or we receive justice. We must recognize what we all deserve. What do we all deserve? Curse and wrath for what we have done. We deserve to be fully given over to our sin and our rebellion. It is only in God's mercy that we are more fully given over to our sin and dominated by it. And so uh, if we recognize that Pharaoh in his rebellion against God is already entered in and is guilty of sin and the rejection of God, and he is justly deserving God's wrath and his displeasure, then it is very much fair and deserving that God would give Pharaoh over more to the desires of his nature and his sin and his rebellion and harden his heart even further. And then the reaction and response to that would be that Pharaoh would harden his heart more and that Pharaoh's heart would be hard, and he would resist God's claims and his declarations to let his people go. 
Notice why God says that he's doing it. He's raising Pharaoh up and he's doing this that he might show his power in Pharaoh and that his name, God's name, might be declared throughout all the nations. Here, God is working on the behalf of his own glory. And he is using Pharaoh to do that. Which, remember, that is what we are all created to do. To be a demonstration of the power and might and glory of our God. To represent and image him in the world. And to proclaim his glory and his great name throughout the world. And that will be accomplished. Willingly, if our hearts are transformed, or also in God's judgment on us. Before we misunderstand and see things here, was God just in doing this? Yes. Was it? God showed any impartiality to Israel in doing this? No. Because we must remember these curses. Israel deserves them as well. Look at the, the, the greatest plague, the Passover. What was the means by which Israel would be passed over in the plague of the firstborn? Well, they had to put the blood over the doors of their houses. Or else the angel would come and destroy them. What is God communicating there? I'm, I'm not passing over you just because you are Israel. You deserve to be destroyed as well due to your rebellion. What is preventing you from being killed is not anything in you, but it is in my grace and my mercy that I provided for you the blood to put over that this lamb will die in your place to deliver you from the curse that you deserve. Or later, as God is speaking to his people, he must remind them, it's not because of anything that you've done. It's not because you were the greatest of the nations or there's anything special about you. In fact, you were the least. But it was because I chose to set my love upon you. My redeeming love. That I chose you to be my treasured possession among the nations. That Israel deserve it. No. Was God obligated to show that kind of mercy and love to anyone? No. But also, God is just to condemn and punish Pharaoh in this way as he would be perfectly just and righteous to do it to any one of us. Notice what God is doing here. What Paul is communicating. Is that he's saying, unbelieving Israel is like Esau. Those who have been given over to God's judgment and his punishment. Unbelieving Israel is like Pharaoh, who, in the course of their rejection, God is still demonstrating his power and his faithfulness to see the gospel taken to the nations and his name proclaimed throughout the heavens. We see here that God's sovereign over all things, both in his showing of mercy and his hardening of hearts. There's no one who believes apart from God's showing mercy to them, opening up and transforming their heart that they would believe. 
Otherwise, the only response would be that God would leave us in our sin. He would leave us in our rebellion. He would further harden and give us over to our sin. We saw the same re- relation of in chapter 1, where God gives humanity more and more over to their sin in judgment and in curse. Who is this merciful and gracious God? What do we deserve? We deserve His wrath and His curse. The question is not, why is God not saving other people? It's, why in the world did He save me? I don't deserve it. It's nothing based in me. Nothing at all. It wasn't because I got it. It wasn't because I worked faith up in myself. In fact, we see in Ephesians what Paul says. It is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not of works so that no man can boast. And this faith itself even is a gift that comes from God. Is there any injustice on God's part? Is God unfair because he chooses to save some? and to show his just punishment on others. No, none of us deserve his mercy. But the good news is, is that we have a sovereign and merciful God who has, in his love and in his compassion, chosen and desired out of his free love and his grace to save and redeem some, not based on anything that has to do with us, but based on him, him who shows mercy. Who am I? Who are you that he would show us like this? We know that we deserve to experience his hardening, judgment, and justice. That he should have closed off our minds and our hearts to rebel even further and to reject the good news and the call of the gospel, but he hasn't. May we respond as Moses did in worship. May we respond here as Paul will in worship and humility. But this will bring up questions. If this is true, that God both shows his sovereignty and his righteousness and the proclamation of the gospel and giving us not our own works, but the righteousness of Jesus. And so the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith in that he grants us and gives us righteousness through faith. But also God's righteousness is revealed against the ungodliness of humanity. Then we can say, if God shows mercy to some and he hardens others. And all of this is happening due to his will as he judges those who are in sin and rebellion against him. Then Paul says in the next question, we'll look at this next week in verse 19. You will say to me, why does he still find fault? For who can resist his will? Paul's anticipating this question. It comes up in our minds, don't it? We'll look there next week. God, give us understanding. Give us insight into your word. Pray that what would be communicated would be for your glory and your honor. Amen.